Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. This morning we're going to be talking about wisdom, and uh, the whole month is about getting wisdom. And so you're in the right place this morning, and we're going to believe God for, for wisdom today as we go through it. Uh, we, we're focusing a lot on Proverbs, so if you have your Bibles, it's about in the middle of your Bible. Uh, somebody asked last week, said, where, where is this wonderful book of Proverbs? Where do I find this? And uh, that's a really good question to have asked in a church. Uh, not because we don't want to know where it is, but it means we have people coming to church that don't know where Proverbs is. And uh, so they were so excited to know that there was such a book, and they were asking, how do I find it? Well, it's pretty simple. Open up to about the middle of your Bible, and you'll find the book of Proverbs. 31 Proverbs, one for every day. And, uh, of course, there's a couple... There's a couple of months, you've got to read more than one. February, you're going to have to read more than one. Uh, yesterday, we were at a, a great funeral for uh, really a going-away celebration for Terry Kesson's father. And one of the guys who got up to speak, his name was Gus, and he was just sharing. You know, some parts of my life are really challenging. Some days, I, I really don't know how to connect with God. And I, I go through these challenges in my Christian life. But every day, I read a proverb of the day. I For sure, I at least read a proverb every day. And so it's a good pattern to get into because we need daily wisdom. Let's pray, and then we're going to ask God to give us wisdom this morning and open up our eyes to hear what he'd have to speak to us today. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is living. Your word is alive. And no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, you'll speak to us today. And so we ask you today to speak into our hearts. God, it's your wisdom that gives us strength. It gives us courage. It helps us, gives us understanding to make the decisions that we have to make today in our life. And Lord, this morning as we talk about money, there's much that can be said about it, but you had a lot to say about it. And so we pray that you would speak into our hearts. Let this pertain to where we are in our life. And uh, also may we store up wisdom today. May we don't need it today, but we may need it down the road to hand out to somebody else. We may need this wisdom for an encouraging a child or nephew or somebody else, or maybe later in life we'll need it. So today, God, we've come to get wisdom. We humble ourselves before you, and we look for this wisdom to be deposited into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're talking about wisdom on money and how to handle money wisely. The Bible's got a lot to say about money, believe it or not. In the New Testament, uh, there's about uh, one out of 60 verses deal with stewardship. Money's mentioned six times more than baptism, and we talk a lot about baptism. It's mentioned actually 60 times more than the Lord's Supper, and we talk a lot about the Lord's Supper. And uh, so it's mentioned a lot in Scripture, and God had a lot to say about money. Perhaps he said a lot about money because money is really his biggest competitor. That's really who competes with us and tries to take us away from serving God, so we need to talk about money. Sometimes, maybe in churches, and I'm guilty of this, we almost hesitate to talk about it because the churches have accused of all all they're after is your money. And so, oh, maybe we shouldn't even talk about it. The opposite should be true. We should talk about it because God talks a lot about it, and we should be able to handle it wisely and learn how to deal with it. We all know something about money, and perhaps you know more than your neighbor, more than me about money. We all know something about money because we all handle it. From a child, we handle money. It's one of the first things we learn to count is a nickel, a dime, and a quarter. So we, we learn how to handle money from a youngster, and we, and we live our lives uh, earning money. And it re- it's a reflection of our talent. It's a reflection of our working ability. So money has a lot to say about our life. This morning, we're just going to look at some practical things, what God has to say about money. 
Look at Proverbs 3, verses 13 to 17 there in your notes. It says, happy is a man who finds wisdom. If you have your pen, maybe I'll circle that word finds. You have to go after wisdom. You have to find it. And this morning, you're finding wisdom. You're here looking for wisdom. You're, you wouldn't be in church on a Sunday morning if you didn't want wisdom. So you're doing it. And uh, hopefully, you're happy this morning. Happy is a man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. So you can circle the word gains. For her proceeds, now wisdom here being her, her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. I don't know what you desire today, but nothing compares with wisdom. Length of days. If you like, circle that. Length of days. Wisdom produces a long life. Length of days are in her right hand. In her left hand, riches. You can circle riches. You can circle honor. This is what wisdom produces. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, pleasure, it's found in wisdom, and all her paths are paths of peace. Look what wisdom produces. A long, good life, riches, honor, pleasure, peace. Anybody wants that. But the principal thing is to get wisdom, to go after wisdom. There's a great book we have downstairs in the bookstore. I think it's still down there. And we, we carry it on a regular basis. How to invest money with God. Because often the question of money and how does that relate to my faith comes up. This is just a good little handbook that was put out a number of years ago. Uh, some great men of God have endorsed it. Jack Hayford endorsed it. Billy Graham endorsed it. So it's got some good endorsements in it. And uh, where's the, this is the giveaway copy. This one I had underlined in some things that Billy Graham had said. Here's what Billy Graham had to say about money. He said, Christ had little need for money, but he had much to say about it. That was because he knew that money represents blood, sweat, and tears, and that our attitude toward it is an accurate gauge of our character and our sense of values. There are clearly two philosophies about money. The first is Satan's. He said to every man and woman, as he said to Christ, they're yours. Just get down on your knees and worship me. He said to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, everything money can buy, just bow down to me and worship me. And he still says that today to people. The second philosophy is Christ. Sell everything you own, give away to the poor, then come follow me. The first is motivated by selfishness, the second by unselfishness. Uh, so this morning we want to talk about getting wisdom, how to find it in our life, because it produces these things. On money, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. Now, Patrick Morley, in his book, Man in the Mirror, guys, this is a suggested reading for every guy. I know there's some different men's groups that meet in the church, and it's on their reading list. This is, uh, every man should have this book in his bookshelf. He said this, it's not a question of advisability. You should not serve both God and man, money. That would be a priority choice. It's not a question of accountability. You must not serve both God and money. That would be a moral choice. Rather, it's a matter of impossibility. You cannot serve both God and money. There's no choice in this issue. You can't serve both. So you either serve one or the other. But the deal is you have to choose which one you're going to serve, because you'll serve one or the other. Right now, where you're sitting today, you're either serving money or you're serving God. Pretty strong statement from our Lord. There's a song that came out by Bob Dylan years ago called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And uh, <laughs> you remember that? Dad shake his head, you remember this song. Let me read you some of his words. You gotta serve somebody. I like this song. His lyrics are pretty cool. 
You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to take a chance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. Might have money and drugs at your commands. Women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief. You may be a state trooper. You may think you might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. You might be a construction worker. Uh, working on a home, you may be living in a mansion, or you might live in a dome. You might own guns, and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. You may be a preacher with spiritual pride. You may be a councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barbershop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, but maybe somebody's heir. But you're going to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Jesus said, you're going to serve somebody. You can serve God or you can serve money. Really, it comes down to This is what our Lord said. It comes down to what you're going to serve. Money by itself is morally neutral. It's just a tool. It comes really, the paper you hold and the coins you hold, they all come from the earth. Uh, come from trees or they come from minerals. And we put it together and we place a value on it. But money of itself is not evil. It's just a tool. It's morally neutral. You can use it for bad or you can use it for good. That's why we read in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, this verse often gets misquoted because people say money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. It's morally neutral. Money is not evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving money have wandered far from the faith. So he's talking to Christians, talking to people like us. They start to crave money. And you know when this happens? You come to God, your life is messed up, you've been beat up. You come and you give your life to God and say, okay, God, help me. God helps you, gets your life back on track. Your business starts to prosper. Things start to go well. And God says, after I have blessed you, don't forget that I blessed you and wander away from me now that you've been blessed. It's very easy to do. Oh, you know, now the company's going. I'm not going to be in church every Sunday anymore. Now I'm just going to be there once a month. I'm going to start drifting away. And then you slowly get pulled back to where you were before. So we've got to be careful about that. And Paul says to Timothy, some have craved it, they've wandered away from the faith, and they pierced themselves, they hurt themselves with many sorrows. You know somebody? I know somebody. We all know people that got sorrow in their life because they wandered away. So here's some principles from Proverbs on money. We could cover many more, but here's just a few for this morning. Number one, out of Proverbs 16 11, the Lord demands fairness in every business deal. He sets the standard. So, one, make sure every business deal is fair. Is that practical enough for you today? <laughs> Can we, is this relevant enough? Can we live this out? Now, it doesn't matter if you're the salesman or if you're buying or selling. Make sure every business deal is fair. I'll never forget the day, a Sunday school class in a little rural Mennonite church in southern Alberta. We always had Sunday school class, adult Sunday school class before the message in the adult Sunday school class. And this particular day, we're talking about, the topic was on money. And Mennonites are known for being very shrewd, getting the best deal. And we, we grew up in that uh, environment, very thrifty and, and very good business people uh, as a whole. And 
they were talking about how to, they were talking about this subject of money. And I remember one of the ladies, Mrs. Jansen, she put up her hand at the end and she was going to give a comment. She says, you know what? As Mennonites, we need to learn something. We're always looking to get the best deal, pay the least for something we can possibly pay. She says, maybe we need to rethink this. Instead of trying to get the lowest bargain price, maybe we should actually be paying more than what we're paying for something and give them really what it's worth instead of bragging how good a deal we got, how thrifty we were. Well, you could have heard a penny drop in that little Mennonite church. Nobody was saying anything. But I've never forgotten her words. Sometimes we're so concerned about, oh, I've got to get a good deal. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to pay you really what this thing's worth. It's almost as quiet in here as it was there that day. (laughs) But the Lord demands fairness in every business deal. He sets the standards. So that's practical. We can live that out in our everyday life. Number two, dishonesty brings grief to all the family. Dishonest gain will never last, so why take the risk? This verse really pops out. Proverbs 15, 27. Dishonest money brings grief to the whole family. When you are dishonest with your funds, it doesn't just hurt you. It'll hurt your family. And can I add this? It'll also bring hurt and grief to the family of God. It can bring grief to the entire church dishonesty. How many dishonest church leaders and church members have brought shame to the church family because they were dishonest in their dealings? This is simple stuff, but man, this stuff works. This is practical things. This is, the, this is the grid we go back to when we want to live our life financially. I will live honestly. I will not bring shame to my family. Proverbs 11, verse 3. Good people are guided by their honesty. Treacherous people are destroyed by their dishonesty. It will ruin your life. It is so much better to just wait. Be honest. The time will come. Dividends will come. Be honest in your business dealings and your business affairs, your money affairs. Number three, debt is the ability to pretend. Proverbs 13, 7, some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. Have you noticed that in life? There's an interesting book that came out a few years ago called The Mind of the Millionaire. It's a pretty thick book. It's a good read. I encourage you to read it. And it talks about how do people that have millions really think because they think different than other people do. And I was surprised to read it. You know, some things that stood out to me was, for example, uh, shoes. They'll buy a pair of shoes that are worth $500, but they'll have them for 15 years. They'll just get them resold and resold. Or they'll buy furniture that's worth more, but they just keep using that furniture over and over again. They will, they gave the example of Sam Walton, who of course, started Walmart, you know, not driving a brand new pickup truck. He's driving an older pickup truck, just keeps it in good shape, keeps driving that same truck. And their point was this. A lot of people that are wealthy don't have a lot of bling bling. They're not worried. They're not trying to impress anybody because they already got it. And if they impress everybody about it, they're going to have a bunch of people asking for it. So they kind of dress it down a bit. Where the person who doesn't have it goes into debt to get it. They're wearing the bling bling to say, notice me. We've been fooled a lot of times. We thought, oh, that person must have nothing, and they've got lots. And the next person, we think, man, they've got a lot, but really, they just got a lot of debt. There's an old saying that says, we borrow money to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious because it's true. We, why, why am I borrowing this money? To, for what? 
So debt is the ability to pretend, and the Bible encourages us to be wise stewards with what we have. Uh, Number four, you can temporarily make a fortune in cheating, but there is a curse that goes with it. Proverbs 21.6, wealth created by lying is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. Where would we lie about our wealth? We would lie on our income tax return. You just got your return back. Either you paid or you got some money back from the government. But it's very easy to, or very tempting to lie on things like that. We can, where else would we cheat? We would cheat by not giving our employer the hours that they, should, that they deserve, that we agreed to. Trying to cut off an hour here, cut off an hour there, or they won't, even little things, like they won't miss the pad of paper, they won't miss the pencil, they won't miss those kind of things, and I'm entitled to it, I've been here long enough. That leads to a deadly trap. I read a story last week about these people that work for Boeing down in Seattle, and you know, they work on these huge planes, and in the planes they have to have all the safety gear, and one of the things that they have is rafts in case the plane lands in, in water. They have a raft that they pull out. Well, some of the employees at Boeing thought they will never notice. Let's take a raft and go rafting with it. So they got this big raft off the Boeing lot without being caught, got it home, and were so excited. Said, Man, this is great. We got this amazing raft. And they are. They're really decked out nice rafts. So they took it down to the water. They launched it into the river, and they're rafting. Well, they don't get very far, and the police show up. They said, how did you guys find it? They said, you guys, when you launch this, it's got a beacon, a tracking beacon. Every one of these rafts, you idiots. (laughs) We knew exactly where you were. (laughs) They were in a deadly trap. (laughs) And when you cheat, there's a tracking beacon on you, okay? And you're going to be caught. So the Bible says, here's wisdom. Don't cheat. And don't cheat on your employees either. And don't say, well, I'm new to the country. I don't know all the rules. When you came to this country, it's your job to learn the rules. So, well, back in my land, we don't do this. We don't give benefits. We don't give days off and so forth. No, 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 no. You're in Canada and in in our country. Why do I say this? Because too many times we have people say, no, no, but... But I'm new to the land. No, no, you have to understand the rules of the land, and you have to play by the rules of the land, and you have to pay people what they're worth. You have to give them their days off. You have to do this. Otherwise, you're cheating. It will be a deadly trap for you, and your business is going to hurt. You will not prosper. God will not bless that, no matter how hard you pray. Okay. Number five. If you compromise under pressure, it's like a polluting stream. Proverbs 25, 26, if the godly compromise with the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. Uh, does this creep into the church? Yes. There, even this week, there is a, a meeting that's going on in Abbotsford, and it's led by, it's called God's Fraud Squad. B.C. Security Commission has launched this a number of years ago because they were tired of so many churches being gullible, vulnerable to scams within the church. And they, people began to compromise their integrity and buy into schemes within the church that they actually set up a commission to help train local churches not to compromise the, what they know is right when some con man or woman, I suppose could be either one, comes in and scams people. 
And so they're training people on how to spot it, how to be aware of it. We're believers. We trust people. And we're in a church. We trust people. But Jesus said there are sheep in, 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 or wolves in sheep's clothing who will come in. So you always have to do your due diligence. If they say, I am brother so-and-so, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And they say all the right things, they speak Christianese perfectly. It's still up to you to do your due diligence and say, does this make business sense? And to get wise counsel before you invest your life savings into something and never see it again. And oftentimes you'll feel this, you'll have lines like this. You got to get in on the ground floor. Banks paying you 4% interest, this will get you 12% interest. Don't you want to be a good steward of money God gave you? And you start to feel this pressure. If you feel that kind of pressure, whether it be in any business dealing or in life, whenever you feel, like one of our Bible school teachers said, if you ever feel this, better do this, that's not God. Whenever you feel, you take two steps back, And you say, I'm going to wait. At the very least, put it on the back burner and wait till you know that you know God never leads that way. He will lead you with peace. You'll have a settledness. You'll have a rest. You'll have a peace. And don't buy into it all. You know, if you you miss this, you'll never get another chance. And, and, uh, you know, get in on the ground floor. I've seen basements filled with all kinds of wonderful things that, uh, that never did sell. But they got in on the ground floor. And uh, now it's in the ground, all those things <laughs> buried in the junkyard. Uh, number six, hard work brings plenty. Playing around brings poverty. Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen. hard workers have plenty of food. Playing around brings poverty. What causes us to work hard is having a goal, having a vision, having a purpose in our life. You have a purpose. You have a goal. You have a vision. That's what causes us to work hard because we have something worth living for. Playing around brings poverty. I think for most of us in Canada, we're probably, you know, second, third, maybe fourth, fifth generation that have immigrated to this country. The first generation, they work hard. It always amazes me. People come to our country, and within 10 years, a family's bought a house. Where somebody else has been in the country for 10 generations, they don't have a house. They say, well, we can't afford it. But yet a country, somebody came here with no money, and all of a sudden they've got a house. How did that happen? What's the difference, hard work? And speaking of our, myself, I know I'm third generation, but I was and am much more tempted to play around than my dad did. My dad worked hard. And as we, we get entitlement, we think, you know, I don't have to work that hard. I can, I can just play around. I, can, I, I want my evenings free. I want my weekends free. And I, we want to play. There's something to be said for hard work. The Bible talks about it. Hard work has plenty of food. And it's easy in a country we have so much to think, you know what, I'm just going to play around. There's a balance there, of course. We, need to, we talked about rhythm for a month, but there's something to be said also about hard work. Number seven ties into this. Hunger is good if it makes you work to satisfy it. Appetite is an incentive to work. Hunger makes you work all the harder. To have no appetite. We live in a generation that has a lot. A lot of our children raised in our homes, they have a lot. And they, there has to be an appetite to work, an appetite to be productive. We were designed by God to work. He put Adam and Eve in the garden to work. Before the fall, they worked. When we get to heaven, will we work? Yeah. 
I think we will work when we get to heaven. He says we will rule and reign with Christ. That sounds like work to me. Work is not bad. Work is a good thing. And we need to have an appetite for it to be healthy with our finances. It's tied in with money. Number eight, honor the Lord with the first part of your income. Proverbs 13, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all your income. This is Finances 101. Sir John Templeton, he's the chairman of Templeton Funds, so he probably knows something about money, more than I know about money, that's for sure. But he said this, I have observed, listen closely, I have observed 100,000 families over my years of investment counseling. And he said, I always saw greater prosperity and happiness among those families who tithe than among those who didn't. It's not a preacher saying this. This is a businessman saying this. If you go to, uh, in, the, in this book that we suggested earlier, How to Invest Money with God, there's some quotes in here by some different people. Um, somewhere in here there is. Here's a quote by uh, Rockefeller, and he knew something about money. At the age of 23, he was a millionaire. At the age of 50, he was the world's first billionaire, so I suppose he knew something about money. He said, I have tithed on every dollar that God had entrusted to me, and I want to say to you that I could have never tithed on my first million if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. And as you know, he went on to become one of the greatest uh, financial men in the world. You could talk about Colgate, Colgate toothpaste, shaving cream, etc. He tithed from his youth on. Started with one-tenth, then two-tenth, and three-tenth, and four-tenth, and eventually he just gave all his income away. You could talk about J.C. Penney, the man who started Penny Stores. You could talk about Mr. Kraft. You could talk about Mr. Heinz. You could talk about Mr. Hershey from Hershey's Chocolate. You could talk about Mr. Kellogg. You could talk about Mr. Crowell. You can go through a long list of people that live by that principle, and you can read the rest of their stories. You say, well, those guys are all kind of old. What about today? Here's another name. Uh, you could Google a guy by the name of Dennis Bakke. I graduated from a school called Bakke Graduate University, and Ray's brother is Dennis. Dennis lives off about 1% of his salary. The rest he gives away. And he, he learned the power and the principle of giving, of putting God first. And he built a power company that uh, today is still in operation with about 16 to $17 billion of sales a year. And, and he's retired from that now and gives, spends the rest of his life building charter schools in the United States, helping the poor. And has a great organization called Mustard Seed Organization, giving money back. Carnegie said it's actually easier to make the money than it is to give it away properly. We have a Carnegie library here, and he spent a lot of his time just giving it away wisely. So there's something to be said about honoring God with the first. It's, we are a steward of everything he gave. In other words, all the money we have is not ours. Because the energy we have, the breath we have, the talent we have, all that we had to acquire it was a gift from God. And so he says, honor me with the first and watch what I will do with the rest. Powerful principle to live by. And if you say, I'd like to learn more about that. That's really new to me. And, and actually, I'm a little bit hesitant about that. Then pick up this book. It'll help explain it to you. We had a, uh, a chef when we were in Regina working in the church there. And he was a chef at the university. And he came up to me. His name was Reg. And Reg said, you know what? Pastor, I live month to month. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this thing called tithing. I don't have that. I don't have money to do that. We're barely making our payments now. 
I said, Lord, give me an answer for this guy. And I just said, well, you know what, Reg, just try it. He said, I can't do 10%. I said, well, that's, that's the benchmark. That's the principle. But let me challenge you with this. You just try something. Try it. Just test God in it. Because he says, try me in this. So, Reg, try it. Just try and see what happens. So he, he started. I don't know what he started at. I didn't measure it, didn't monitor it, didn't check to see if he was or not. I, that was the end of my conversation. A year later, he comes back. And he says to me, Dave, wow. He says, I didn't tell you this, but I started just with a little bit. But now I've realized this thing really works. We're far better off 90% than we ever were off 100%. He said, we paid down our house this year. He says, I don't know how that happened, but this started to happen and that started to happen. Our car wasn't breaking down. And we went back through our budget. We said, look at the difference. So you do it by faith. Like everything else, we do it by faith. We say, God, I trust your word, and I'm not serving money. I'm serving you, so I trust you in it. Uh, number nine, uh, if, you choose, if you have to choose, pick a good name over riches. Yeah. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Yesterday we were at the memorial service for Bud Stewart, Terry Kesson's father, and uh, I don't know if he had a lot of riches. He had a nice little house there in, in Gibson's and had a trucking company and different things. But, you know, the best thing he had was a good name. The hall was filled with people. The community was there. Everybody loved Bud, had something good to say about him. That's worth more than a big bank account. Amen? A good name. And if you have to choose, I choose a good name. If you, if you have to say no to the deal of your life instead of having... Over, so you can have a good name, choose the good name. It's worth it in the long run. Simple, practical, solid wisdom to live by. Number 10, save for the future. Only a fool spends his whole paycheck. Proverbs 21, 20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Well, that doesn't apply to us. Oh, you know what? I just heard the news the other day that Canadians have an increasing debt problem. We are not the leaders in the world with our credit card debt. As a matter of fact, Canadians have a problem. We spend more than we make. And Proverbs here, Solomon is saying it is better to save. There's something called delayed gratification. We live in a world of instant gratification. We want to drive the same kind of car that our parents drive. We want to live in the same kind of house that our parents live in after working for 30 years. But there's something about delayed gratification. Save. This is simple wisdom from Proverbs, but it's so good for our world today. Number 11, unless you can afford to lose the money, don't co-sign for someone. This is good. This will help us. <laughs> Proverbs 22, verses 26 and 27. Uh, there's a printing error there. Do not co-sign another person's note or put up a guarantee for someone else's loan. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. Yeah. Now, you say, well, what happens if I did co-sign for somebody that went wrong? Well, then you have to forgive the bad debt. You have to be willing to, as a Christian, say, okay, I forgive it. No worries. Let's go on. Or if you've borrowed money and haven't paid it back, then you have to pay it back. But they're Christians. They have to forgive me. No. Just do the right thing. Work extra hard, pay the money back, be faithful, and if you at least communicate to them. 
Say, hey, I'm working on it. Here's something. I'm going to pay you back. Amen. Number 12, in every financial decision, pray before you pay. Every major one. Now, if you're going to go buy a, a burger today, you know, don't have to pray, do I buy it or don't I buy it? No, no. But every major financial decision, pray before you pay. And God will reward your efforts. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will. And all you do, he'll direct your paths. And, you know, for married couples, I suggest don't only pray before you pay, talk about it before you pay. Uh, we've made some withdrawals in our married life when we didn't talk about major financial decisions before we paid. Um, we were er- married in our early years, and, uh, you know, we didn't have any living room furniture. We had a, I think we had a kitchen table and some chairs that were left over from your mom and dad, right? We, we lived out of suitcases. We didn't have any furniture, no bedroom furniture. But I was convinced that we need to have the latest, greatest stereo. <laughs> and whatever little we had in the bank account, I spent it on a stereo, all right? I mean, to this day, hello, uh, I needed some wisdom. <laughs> we, <laughs> we so better spent somewhere else. But we had a nice stereo sitting around on the floor, taking clothes out of a suitcase, but we had a stereo. It sure sounded good. Not a lot of prayer. Not a lot of talking before that one. And, I mean, Cheryl had a few surprises for me, too. <laughs> I came home from work one day, and we are newly married, and she's so excited. She's just beaming. I mean, she just looked like she had the world, the best day of her life. And I said, Cheryl, what's up? I was shopping. I said, great. <laughs> I bought five dresses, Dave. <laughs> five dresses. She had them all laid out, and they all looked gorgeous, and, and, uh, um, but I think you took a few of those back. <laughs> so it's good to pray, but also talk about it before you pay. That's just practical wisdom for today. Number 13, if you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he pays great interest. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he'll repay you. You know what that means? Sometimes we're so worried. Well, if I, if I give to this, take, for example, we were helping VanCat get started. That's to help the poor. Well, if I give to that, well, you know, what about my needs? How, how, hey, if God says he's going to repay you, what's the worry? What's the fear? He's going to repay you. And some of you got behind that and supported it. I got good news for you. God's going to pay you back with interest. That's what it says. That's a fact. He repays you with interest. Because the poor can't pay you back. says, I'll pay you back. How neat is that? Brother Littlefield taught us how to work with the poor some. We learned so much from him. And I would just be every, so many times I said, Brother Littlefield, how are we going to do this? Where are you going to get it from? And he just said, you know what? God will, God will pay it back. And he had story after story after story exciting stories. I said, man, that's where I want to live. In that miracle zone you're living in, that's where I want to live. You get a call here, or this happens, and that happens. He, he lived in a miracle zone of provision. If you want to experience that kind of life, help the poor. Because then you get in this miracle zone where you get divine appointments. God sets you up. You go, wow, look how you're doing, God. I see you in my life. Help the poor. Number 14. Oh, you know what? Let me just add here really quickly. Sometimes we just think the poor, we think of somebody on the street, or we think somebody out there that's poor. Can I just stop and say, sometimes we have poor right here with us. 
It doesn't mean that they can't buy a meal or they can't, you know, whatever. But they might be struggling to pay their rent this month because they don't have a job. Or they might be struggling to get gas for their car this week. And you've been praying for them. You say, you know what, man, I've just really got them on my heart and I feel like they're struggling. Or maybe you learned about it in life group. You can do something called the Christian handshake. The Christian handshake is where you reach into your pocket and you pull out a couple 20s and you go over to somebody and you shake their hand and you say, God bless you, man. Have a good week. That's helping the poor. That should happen in churches. That should happen in our church. Where you just, there's some, there's, I won't mention their names, but one of the couples in our church is so amazing at that. I've seen them do it to others in the church, do it to us. They'll just, at the right time, be led by the Lord, reach over and say, you know what, I just, I just was praying for you this week and God bless you. Nothing said. And you walk and say, man, God was thinking about me today. Number 14, avoid the lottery and gambling and get rich quick schemes. We've got more gambling joints coming up all the time here. Be careful, stay away. The trustworthy will get a rich reward. But the person who wants to get rich quick will only get into trouble. Enough said. Number 15, live generous. If possible, it is possible to give freely and become more wealthy. But those who are stingy will lose everything. The generous prosper and are satisfied. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's interesting in the Bible we have the word believe or believer, believing 275 times. We have the word prayer, pray 371 times. The word love, strong word in the Bible, God is love, so forth, 714 times. But the word give or giving is in the Bible 2,162 times. God's trying to tell us something. Yes, love. Yes, pray. Yes, believe. But the action is to give, to be generous. Carl Menninger said this. He said, giving is a good criterion of mental health. Now, listen very carefully. This, 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 this is a powerful point. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. That's true from our limited experience as pastoring. I've rarely seen a generous person have mental challenges. There's something about living a generous life. And people that are tormented in their minds are often stingy people. Well, let me wrap up this morning. Uh, a little story. What if you ruled the world? What if you had it all? More than Bill Gates. You ruled the world. Few people have. Alexander the Great ruled as much as the, he could at the world of his day. Julius Caesar did. Charlemagne, king of the Franks, did. They ruled the world. What would it look like from that perspective? Well, Alexander the Great, after one of his military victories, partied too long and died later. Julius Caesar was killed by his associates. But Charlemagne, even though he had a lot of weaknesses, he died different. He died mostly loved by his people, was a pretty good ruler. And he asked to be buried different. He, he ruled the world. He had it all. But he was buried in a sepulcher sitting on his throne, upright. He asked for a Bible to be placed by his hand. And on his index finger, it was pointed to Mark chapter 8, verse 36, where it says, What would a prophet of a man profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? His finger, as the ruler of the world at that time, was on that verse because he had gained the world. 
And he said, but what does it profit me if I lose my soul? Nothing. So the question for you this morning is, where is your soul? Is it invested into things that rot and decay and are gone? Or is it with Christ in him? Leave it with the Lord. Build it on a rock, not on sand. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.